0: Hey folks, welcome to this week's CISO Talk Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe right now to the CISO Talk Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, turn on notification. You'll be notified every time we go live right here on the show. I'm Donning the Paisley. You guys have voted. You guys won. So go out and support the Wounded Warrior Project and all the brave men and women that are recovering from PTSD and other critical injuries. The Wounded Warrior Project does an amazing job. Every $150 donated to this cost, go directly to the Wounded Warrior Project, every single dollar. You get to see me in more awkward paisleys as the price goes up. Uh, Once we reach our $5,000 goal, there will be a paisley that None of you will ever want to see me wherever again. So the link is below in the show notes. Go and, do- and donate to that amazing cause. I've got an awesome episode coming up for you guys today. I've been talking about it for a few weeks. Ron Green, Robin Bien, if you're going to be joining me here in just a moment, as we give you a highlight into the preview of our fireside chat that will be available on Tuesday for the Global Cyber FinTech Conference that I will be co-hosting with my awesome Robin you guys are going to love it so you can go register right now for your free virtual pass if you want to be in person in your cio or ciso please reach out to me or robin and we'll get you your free pass as well and without further ado why bore you with anything else you guys want to hear from the people so uh here we go let's kick it off
1: from the cyber hub bunker in studio you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales. No bullshit. Just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar.
0: Well, folks, welcome Ron. Welcome Robin. How are you folks doing today? So uh, for everyone,
2: we need to have a cocktail
0: now, (laughs) right? Like, well, everyone who's watching us now is eating lunch. So I hope your lunches are good um, for, for those watching us on the main floor. I'll kind of kick this out to, to either one of you, but we've seen over the last year, the elevation of the role of the CISO, right? And specifically the role of the the CISO has now been kind of, we've been taken outside of the uh, kids table, as many people would argue into the boardroom and not only are we now talking about risk, but we're talking about a lot more than risk today. And, Ron, that's evident in your title. You're not chief information security officer. You're chief security officer. Talk about that elevation in that title and what does that mean for other systems going forward? Sure. And, and
1: uh, I'll look at it um, two ways. One is uh, you know, just in, in general, um, you're seeing more companies um, get deeper engagement with their uh, Chief Information Security Officer, um, I, I think you are now an oddity if your Chief Information Security Officer isn't presenting at the board at least once, and more often than not, they're they're actually presenting uh, quarterly, uh, actually, and in some cases, you're presenting not only to the the board but the audit committee and the risk committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you have this like running conversation with the uh, board members, and that's that's because. You know, in the cyberspace, uh, it's infrastructure that's always under constant attack. There's always new threat vectors uh, and there's always new things that the adversaries are trying to take advantage of that makes headlines. Uh, And then when companies aren't paying attention to those headlines, something bad happens. And then those companies are then put on the headlines and then you see the things that they weren't doing. They weren't talking to their CISO. Or they weren't hearing the thing that their CISO was saying, or they were turning a blind eye to, you know, some of the issues that they had in their environment. And so, at the board level, the board wants to understand that the C- the information security officer has the support uh, that they're that they they are in fact knowledgeable and know how to help the company advance the security maturity. Uh, so the board really wants to hear that. And then there's the uh, combining of security. Uh, with uh, physical and cyber actually when I worked for Robin that was the first organization that did the combination of cyber and physical Uh, and the reason for that is um, and I'll just go back to the my, my first example of entering into into a company where they first put the cyber and the physical together where if you have an incident and your physical security guys are saying look this is great. We got it all under control. There's nothing to worry about. But then you turn your seat a little bit and you talk to the cyber guy. It's the same issue. And your cyber guys are saying, this is the worst thing that ever happened. Yeah, there's no, you know, these are, there's, these are new things that are happening and we've never seen it before. If you're the business o- owner or leader or executive, and you have your security teams telling you this, well, what sense do you make of it? And so, uh, you should put those things. It, it's good to put those things together. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, our adversaries don't say, look, that's a physical attack. Um, that's a physical thing. I, I can't do that. I'm cyber. I'm, I need to attack on the cyber front. and I can't touch the physical front. They have no boundary or border. Uh, so in business, we, because cyber information, security and cyber was new you had physical security paradigms that were already in place. Cyber started to, to come up, and it we were treating it like this other thing. Uh, but it really, it's just security. Yes. Uh, so you'll, you're seeing more and more companies put those together together to give a company a holistic view of the security of their environment.
0: Yeah, that's um that's that's a great point. Um, you kind of spoke of how cyber was being siloed. Right, initially and early on, we were kind of silent under IT, right? Cyber's IT. It's an IT function. It's nothing else. Today, I think cyber is more of a business enabler. Robin, you're a board member. You sit on multiple boards, multiple boards today. How have you seen the board start discussing the role of the CISOs over this period of time? Well, it's
2: kind of, you know, I used to sit on the other side of the table as a member of management. And oftentimes, you know, I, I would get asked as a member of management from the board, you know, what are you guys doing in this space? And, you know, our product may have been very secure, but the infrastructure it rode on and was working on, uh, had a lot of, of access, privileged issues, root issues, all kinds of issues. So really, you know, from a company perspective, uh, the boards don't know really what to ask. And what I've seen now with boards, like I said, I'm on a bank board. I'm on an insurance board. I'm in on a, an investment team board. Um, I'm the technologist at the table, so I'm sitting at the table asking somebody like Ron, who's sitting on the other side of the table, <laughs> uh, the questions because I know where those gaping holes are. So I'll come in and ask something as simple as, "Where are we on patch management?" You know, and and I. I won't speak out of school, but some of these companies are years behind in patch management, not a couple of months, years. And uh, when you know that, you're just thinking, OK, well, you've got bots all in your infrastructure. So uh, it's kind of like trying to explain to the board. So you have a disease. <laughs> we need to go get treatment. And we need something that flushes the treatment out, but we've got to go make sure that we've got treatment going on. And, you know, when you hear things like that, my hair just wants to go straight up and everybody around the table doesn't understand just the, you know, the one, two threes of good hygiene in your infrastructure. And yeah, you know, moving to the cloud fixes some of that maybe for you, but in the mix you need to understand the uh, infrastructure, issues and things that you need to address if you move to a cloud environment, uh, a public cloud environment. So having a technologist on the board, I'm the one who asks the strange questions. I'll get, usually I'll ask a question to either the CISO or the CIO, or sometimes the CTO. And they'll give me an answer. And then at one of the breaks, this board member will lean in and say, why did you ask that? I mean, what was that about? I said, well, just think of it like our roof has got a thousand holes in it and there's no tarp over the roof right now. We're leaking data as we're talking. So we're just like a, it's like you feel like you're like a little time bomb that's gonna go off any minute. And yet everybody's sitting around having the, you know, a cup of coffee or a cocktail hour, having a drink, and we're all saying it was a nice board meeting. And I'm just, I'm having this other side of me kind of panicking, but then I have to realize they're, they're moving at a certain pace. And my job is to see if we can move them a lot faster. So at least we, uh, take that risk profile down as narrow as possible quickly, because I'd really like to be able to say, while I sat on that board, we didn't have a big breach. Um, and you know, when you walk in and you hear all the areas where we have potential opportunities, (laughs) the opportunities abound, um, The other part of my role there is as I'm talking to the CISO or the CSO or the chief data officer, I can get a sense if we've got the right person in the job and it gives me, you know, a handle of, Hey, I need to go back. This person needs another person on their team. Uh, they're great at the academic side of this, but they're not really great at the execution side of this. We need to get somebody in there that can help them operate or get them a coach, or I go and coach them some. So it's it's kind of a um, a mixed bag, but it's a lot of fun being on the other side because I can kind of poke and do those challenges and then go home and have a good night's sleep. Uh, I let the person who's on the other side of the table, which is Ron, go fix it. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I, I'll, I'll add, James, that, that role that Robin plays on boards, like. It's an important one that allows the CISOs to be successful, and more and more regulators, not just in the U.S., I, I see it in uh, other countries when they ask about the mix of the board. They're looking to see if they have, like a Robin, somebody that can, you know, actually challenge the 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 chief information security officer to say whether or not whether or not they're the right person, or whether or not they got enough resources or assets,
2: or if the funding really is, yeah.
1: Yeah. Or even understand what they're saying, because <laughs> yeah. sometimes, as he says, we can, you know, we're, we are so enamored in our space uh, that when we talk to other people who don't know about it, we we just make this assumption that, you know, they can add it up, and put it together. They know exactly what I'm talking about when they don't know what we mean if we're not clear. But if you have a board member that is actually understanding what you're saying, uh, it makes it the the, the I, I can tell you the rest of the board will look to Robin and say, well, did did Ron say stuff that made sense? And do you feel good? And if she mm-hmm. goes, yes, then they all feel better.
2: Exactly. So we'll and break at the end of the board meeting into executive session. And the first thing on the executive session. So, Robin, the answer that you got on such and such, were you happy with that? And my answer would be. I need to have a little phone call because I need to ask another question. I just knew that if I continued down that path, we would have been in the conversation for another hour. I have confidence that the person knows what I'm talking about. So let me loop back with you. If I feel like I need to give that individual a little bit more time to describe what they're doing. But you know, when you when you come into something and you find you've got not hundreds of patches to perform and you know, tons of end of life. Um, the vulnerability and the level of risk there is huge. And um, those of us that are have been in the trenches like Ron is doing today knows how fast those attacks can happen and how often they're being attacked. And if you don't think your infrastructure and your environment is in battle all the time, um, you're wrong. Uh, and you've got to have the best front line or first line that you can put in. And sometimes it takes somebody on the board like me to say, are we funding that? Because then that's where the funding does get tripped over because they know a board member understands that we might be not putting enough money to shore up some of the infrastructure that needs to be taken care of.
0: Yeah. You bring up a good point around patching. I think for a lot of practitioners. Yeah. We think of it
2: as, you know, to me, I would assume if I came into most companies, everybody would be, you know, pretty much up to date or a month or two behind maybe, um, or handling priorities and getting to the other stuff. But to find out that some of these companies are, are years uh, behind. Look, um, Microsoft it's Exchange, pretty scary.
0: Microsoft Exchange proxy logon, there's still about 10,000 or so servers out there that haven't been patched. Eternal Blue, there's still stuff that hasn't been patched yet. I mean, this is stuff that's three years old. Pulse Secure i can keep naming stuff like uh, when i do my practitioner brief in the morning and i'm talking about a cve from 2017 i'm i'm, I'm speechless
1: and that's only what you can see in on the internet face right, right.
2: exactly because there's
1: more, <laughs> if you if you got in behind whatever that is you're going to see a lot more and you know all they need is to get in and once they get in they see all those other open doors it like can be running all over
0: your network. It, yes, it, 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 these things linger. These things yeah. do linger, but I think patching in itself is is predominantly very difficult for large enterprises because of the way to, the infrastructure is set up. So some stuff just isn't as simple as update my Windows and Word and Outlook with the push of a button an on Office three sixty five. Some stuff. Well, and
2: I, I think there's a naivety to think you know a lot of us and have that whole mentality If somebody's going to steal something from me, they're going to smash and grab, and they're going to take uh, the stereo system or the jewelry upstairs or coins that they think are in the back. But the, the threat that we're defending against is them taking data that can identify our customers. And they will pick off data from several different sources, and it may take them a couple of years to weave what they're wanting to do with that data to actually launch something that is a little bit more surgical than a smash and grab. And you know, a lot of what we see in the news is the smash and grab or all the fraud attempts. I mean, we were just tracking I think we've seen
0: a lot of surgical stuff in the last four or five months. Yeah, <laughs> uh, now the surgical
2: stuff is coming about, right?
0: Yeah, we've seen a lot of surgical stuff, but that brings up a really interesting point, right? And it's, it's the idea of how quickly new technology is being deployed, right? We're launching MVPs right or left. The business is quickly adopting to new technology. Sometimes as fast as people like me or Ron or you, Robin, want to be, the s- business is moving so fast. They're like, we'll deal with security later. This is an MVP. We're only launching it to six customers. No one's really going to see it. It's only these six customers. I mean, there are, you know, Trial customers, and you're like you haven't done any security on this, and so now we're trying to play catch up. Uh, What's that? What's your experience around that been like?
2: Well, I usually push the mantra with anybody doing an MVP, and that's why I do these cyber fintech type of events. I believe that you have to build in security; you can't bolt it on later on. And if you truly are going to be somebody to consume of anything you should test the dna of the company or the mvp or whatever you're using to know that they've built it in they've architected security into the system and environment and even to the data layer if they can of what they're trying to do so i try to promote those companies that have already got that kind of thinking as a part of their team uh, focus on that first and the feature set will come so um you know, that bolting on later on, it, it's one of those, the toothpaste is already out of the tube um, and, and it, you'll never get it back.
0: I don't know. You can always put it on the tip of the toothbrush. You (laughs) You spread
2: it
0: around. Ron, I kind of want to kick this off to you. What are some of your best practices in dealing with, you know, quickly deployed technology that sometimes, you know, security isn't consulted on or it's just kind of, well, all we did is just set up a bunch of S3 buckets, you know, out there for just, you know, a few MySQL queries, you know, a few EC2 instances, no big deal. You know, it's data from 15 years ago.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess, well, and probably <laughs> still in some companies today, security <laughs> is seen as like a roadblock or the office of no, you get that?
2: Um,
1: yeah. And that's because you work on the technology and then you show up at security's doorstep and you say, hey, I made this thing. I need you to approve it so it can go into production. And the security team has no idea what it is. They got to find find their way through it. So One of the things that um, I've done is long before they actually make anything, um, I have security engineers that are actually part of the business. They're part of security, but they're embedded with the business. So as the business is identifying or coming up with an idea, you have security engineers that are helping them with it from the front. And not only do these security engineers, they know us. They know what security does. They're learning more about what that business does. And, you know, we don't quickly rotate them around. I guess when you just had security in the back, you have this pool of engineers that they get the present that's dropped on the doorstep at the same time, and you never know which guy's going to get it. This way, you got the same security engineers working with you all the time. Um, And so as you come up with the idea, you talk to the engineer. Uh, In addition to that, we have security champions that are down in each development team. So each each set of businesses have a dedicated business security officer and primary engineer, but then we have a cadre of uh, security champions that are the developers. We train uh, some of the developers to be, you know, super security smart developers that are out in the development team. So they're thinking about security in their little development teams, Uh, So you got to put security up front. Otherwise, it's going to run into the roadblock of security on the back end. And then I also have a, I got a researcher. Um, I have effectively a mad scientist uh, who, he and his team, they're always looking at new technologies, new security solutions that are, look, we have our security roadmap that takes us three to five years. But they're looking for other things that are coming or should be coming that we should put bets on and know about to see if those will actually end up end up in our uh, security roadmap. So those are those are our approaches to new tech.
0: You know, it's very interesting because Mastercard has uh, become almost a cyber vendor from one side of it because it's investing in buying cybersecurity companies because it sees value. Um, how how much of a contribution do you make on on those types of uh, uh, deals, Ron? Are you are you are you a part of that identifying process and kind of looking at that technology and going, this is definitely something we should hedge our bets on?
1: Yeah, we, we actually are. We we are the um, like customer one, right? <laughs> or uh, all of those solutions, anything that we we bought um, security related, uh, we actually use. It's once upon a time, I, the first time I heard anyone ever say. Ah, uh, we eat our own dog food. It was Robin said it uh, at a meeting that we were at at Blackberry? Uh, but at Mastercard, and it changed you know, it
2: to drinking our own champagne because I told him I didn't eat dog food. Yeah, that's
1: right. And yes, uh, so um, you know, um, this like the risk recons of the world. Those are things that we use. Uh, that just, we use what we sell. Um, the things. The reason it's important for us to invest in security is we're about trust, right? Mm -hmm. Our whole people need to use their cards wherever they are and they need to trust the transactions are secure. Uh, And the only way to ensure that the ecosystem is secure is by making sure that we can give the right solutions to our customers uh, to make sure that the transactions are secure all the time. And we'll also do things uh, just because it's the right thing to do like the cyber research Institute or the cyber peace Institute or the cyber talent initiative. We do a lot of things to try and help the greater ecosystem become more secure because if everybody's secure, the transactions that you take part in are more secure. So it's not enough just to secure ourselves. we got to secure the whole ecosystem.
0: So, and the best way to
2: do that is to consume of your own capability. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean,
0: you have to look at the challenge. One thing, um, I constantly talk about, and I think it's often under under underestimated is how well our adversaries speak to each other and how easy they make it to share information and resources. And then we in security, the practitioners, the people who do need to pull our resources are behind so many like ounces of red tape and so many different challenges in terms of information sharing and cooperation that if you don't pick up the phone and call someone, you're likely never going to know sometimes. And, and I think that's that's one of the things that our community is starting to slowly pick up on. but you'd almost wish that the, that pace would be as quick as the COVID you know reactionary pace would be, right? <laughs> like can we get an information sharing you know practitioner internal process done now now, now so that information can be shared and not be you know two, three weeks old by the time you get an alert, it's so stale um, it, it really means nothing.
1: Well, there there are things that um, you know we can we we can do now uh, or that we should do to help with uh, greater information show but uh, share between just not only the private institutions but also with uh, government. Um, so, like the, in the financial services side, you, there are more of these things because right. I forget which criminal said it, but you know why do I rob the banks? Because that's where the money is. Uh, well. Banks and other financial service institutions are were always are just always under attack uh, from uh, people looking to get access to money. So you have uh, the fin- so within the U.S. we have the Financial Service and Information Sharing Analysis Center. Actually, it's not a, that's actually a global uh, right. The um, yeah, right. the FSI uh, It's a global function. Uh, we just worked with them and NATO on something called block Shields last week, where. Uh, we, we got a chance to work with all of our with a number of other industry partners to you know defend okay. against attacks. Um, we do things like that other cyber defense exercises where we get our practitioners together they meet the practitioners from the other firms so that in case the something bad ever really happened they know who to call and they right. can get you know things worked out. Um, we also have uh, like the physic the financial service uh, right. sector, Coordination Council, um, where you know we work closely with uh, tre- U.S. Treasury and uh, Department of Homeland Security in order to share information back and forth. We have classified briefings that uh, result from that. And there's always there's always still more that we can do to improve the the communication flow. But th- these are things that you know groups can join today. Uh, in order to get access to these things. And I'm sure there are other things that uh, are out there, but you know, just off the bat, um, those are things I'd throw out that, you know, if you're a financial service company, you can join in today. There's also like the DSAC, Domestic Security Advisory Council. That's good for uh, any firm. It's an FBI funded organization that uh, allows information share. It's, uh, that's only US. There, 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 there are opportunities out there that we can join now or improve.
0: I will, I will say this. When I was in Israel in 2019 with a group of CISOs, we visited the um, Israeli CERT, and they had a, the FSISAC uh, regional SOC inside the Israeli CERT, essentially a separate office that had five people working in it, all part of the FSISAC, um, sending information across the
1: globe. And the FSISAC is is powered by the the membership. The right. companies make it, uh, which is yeah. so great about it.
2: It's the people in the process that are going to improve it. And if okay. we can somehow or other shield them in a way that they can share information across the lines, we can have a stronger united front and make people aware of other learnings. And and um, it was it was just hard to do that because there's this fear of somebody finding out what's going on within one shop and it getting out and being in the news and hurting the brand so we've got to got to get to where we dampen that down and allow the security professionals to have that chatter amongst themselves in a in a secure and private manner
0: so i just wrote an article on substack and it's called the microsoft doctrine and I built a business case as to how Microsoft's reaction to the proxy logon and SolarWinds and Microsoft Exchange actually raised their stock price to a 52-week high. Oh. And I built the entire case, including charts of what the stock did when on December 10th of 2020, when we found out about SolarWinds, to uh, about mid-December, right before Christmas, when Microsoft found out that someone looked at their source code, to January when they were notified, To March, when everything started going down with the exchange vulnerabilities and actual threat actors taking advantage of it. And everything that Microsoft did in that period of time of communication, press release, blog, press release, blog, 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 blog. On their website, updates, 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 updates. And their stock went up by their stocks at a 52-week high.
2: Communication.
0: Yeah. And and what they did is they restored confidence in their product. So no one said, I'm leaving Microsoft. No one said, I'm going off exchange. No one said, I can't trust these guys. Everyone looked at, my, I look at Microsoft today and I see a partner. I see a real partner. They're not hiding anything. And so, you know, safe, selfless, shameless promotion. Read that article. It's a really good thing to, by the way, present to the board because it shows that if we're transparent about what we're working with and what we're dealing with, Chances are most people are going to be forgiving, but if you hide behind your interns, that may not work so well for you. And
1: yeah. I, I, just on Robin's point about some firms being reluctant to share, um, this is where you got to have a good general counsel that supports mm-hmm. information sharing. Um, more often than not, like in, I've been in um, different groups of uh, CISOs and chief security officers, and sometimes I hear my peers say, "Look, because uh, we're like talking to the FBI or something," and they say things like, "You should regulate that we share information." Um, and I cringe at that. I don't need. I don't need another Graduate. government tell <laughs> me what to do. Uh, but, but they're 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 asking for that because their general counsel won't let them share. Right.
2: Their
1: they're general being counsel. Prohibited. Yes, they're being prohibited from doing it. So because their general counsel won't let them do it, if they get a requirement to do it, that will free them up to do it. You got to have a general counsel that sees the
0: benefit of information sharing in order to enable that CISO to do it. So that brings up a great point, Ron. You and I first met on the board of the NTSC, the National Technology Security Coalition a few years ago. You're one of the founding members. I think MasterCard was one of the founding members of the NTSC, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. Right. It was uh, it was you and Tim Callahan and and a few other of the guys over there that have um, 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 started the NTSC. And for those who don't know, at the NTSC, ntsc NTSC.org, I've had Patrick on the show a bunch of times. We do our we try to do our quarterly legislative update of what's going on. And we know that, you know, if it wasn't for um, a lot of the efforts of the NTSC, CISA would still be some weird named agency. Um, right? It would have been like NC. It was NPPDPP, wasn't it? It was N- yeah. It, it yeah. Had a really It had nothing to do with cyber in the name. There's got to be
2: somebody out there who makes up all these acronyms.
0: No, it was actually pretty funny. It, it's, CISA didn't really exist. Uh, the NTSC helped push it. The NTSC isn't responsible for it, but they did help educate lawmakers and speak to them about how important it is to have CISA there.
1: Yeah. Groups like the NTSC, it's, it, it's important you get. A body of practitioners, the people that do it, and you get enough of, you know, big character. They're at a big firm, and not only do you have like the US banks or the, or what, all of the organizations that are a part of it, Uh, you got their brands and their their leaders of the uh, information security practice. It, it makes an impact to uh, like legislators, people that are coming up with law. Um, it, I'm hearing from a good knowledgeable body about things that are important to them or things that we can do to help uh, protect the, the nation uh, because they have to do it every day. What are the things that are in their, their way? And you hear it as a, it's not just a one-off, it is, it's a resounding message from a number of practitioners.
0: Yeah, I mean, the federal data breach notification law that's coming up, that's something that the NTSC has been working on for three years now, I think from 2017 or 18. It's finally on the floor for a vote. Hopefully that gets through this session. So that way you have to report to the FTC and no 50 AGs. That's kind of nice. Uh, the federal data privacy law, another good thing that the NTSC has also contributed to. Um, and And, yeah, that's really important. So we're almost out of time. And I did want, I wanted to bring up the NTSC because I think the work that the NTSC does for um, CISOs and getting the voice of the CISO heard, not the voice of someone who's selling something, but the voice of the guy who's actually doing it. Like,
2: having to get the work done.
0: Right. I mean, I'm going to DC tomorrow um, and I'm meeting with elected officials to talk about uh, immunity for companies that uh, do information sharing at an event of a, a data breach. So, could we create a level of immunity where like Ron so eloquently just said, my general counsel won't let me share, but hey, Congress just passed immunity bill. No, none of the information we release can be used against us unless it's negligence. And this is what negligence is. Could we get immunity? to there's
2: it's a fear brand impact.
1: And yeah, it's like, uh, I've heard it. It's also reverse Miranda, right? So right. Yeah. I, if I share the information, I, I'm actually more, you know, I'm more protected because I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more. I'm more protected because I bring this to you in order to get help or more visibility to it and help protect others. And that way, if you know for some reason uh, the government has a problem, uh, it, it reduces the likelihood that uh, that that attack will be held against me if I've come forth with this.
0: It's, it's actually a really cool concept. I, I, I think the idea of immunity is a very cool concept for companies, because what it does is it allows one security practitioners to do what they need to do. Number two, it eliminates the need um, for federal warrants or, you know, request to come in and speak by, you know, FBI or Secret Service or anyone else who are really trying to help. They're not they're not trying to fail you. Um, they're really trying to be partners to, to your program. Um, which I think is also is also part of what's needed. So um,
2: parting words, um, Robin? Well, I wish Ron could be with us in person. I know that will happen at some point in time. Be good to see his face in person and just say hello. <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, I, I hope that uh, this session was helpful for those that are watching. Uh, I believe that the more we uh, bring things to the forefront and talk and help people understand that anything we do, uh, you know, the best way to build security in is build it in and not bolt it on. And and um, I have a, a view of us going forward that we as individuals need to learn how to secure our own I- identity. And as we secure our own identity, we can take that secure identity with us to work, to play, to shop, whatever. And I think we'll move in that space. Uh, We can't always look to the corporation to secure everything for us as we come in to either work, play or shop. So um, I'm hoping we'll see more invention and capabilities on that front.
1: Ron. Yeah, I guess I'm 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 gonna echo Robin, in that one uh, to help your business, you gotta be embedded up front. You got to be as they're coming up with the idea, you got to be right there with them so that when they think about how to deploy it, it it already has the treatment that it needs in order to pass the security toll gates. It already knows, you know the you know things that are required that are met, and that way it can uh, go through or. It actually understands enough mitigation to be acceptable as a and as as an exception uh, to the rule, right? So and only to only because you're forward and working on it can the business move smoothly through. Otherwise, they're gonna they're gonna hit the wall, they're gonna choke, they're gonna stop, they're gonna hate you, and they're or they're gonna try to figure out how to get around.
2: And and you have to go back into redesign.
1: And a lot of times if
2: you design with it in mind and in play and make that part of your DNA you'll find that you'll build even more clever products and capabilities. I mean, look at all the capabilities with biometrics today and ease of use that you can get from putting that within some of your capabilities. And it gives you a lot of those security factors that you're looking for.
1: Yeah. The second point that Robin uh, talked about that I I would say is teach your uh, employees to secure their lives, right? Take the, the, every day we should be thinking about security. You leave your home and you lock your door. Uh, you leave your car and, you know, you didn't leave your keys on the car and then walk <laughs> inside the building. Um, you keep your money secured in your pocket. You, you do a lot of stuff to protect yourself day to day. Checking the thing that uh, your email to make sure it's not a phishing attack. A lot of the things uh, that you, we need in our everyday life uh, for security, we should be thinking about in the cyber front. You do that at home, you'll take it to work.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, securing personal lives is really important. Uh, you know, on the biometric side, Robin, something very interesting. I did a survey, uh, my unofficial LinkedIn surveys, I like to call them. But when you get a thousand people responding, you kind of get a pretty decent sample size. So we asked about the idea of I uh, uh, discussed the the movie, uh, the documentary "Coded Bias" that's on Netflix. And we kind of talked about uh, biometrics and facial recognition and some of the algorithms. And the question I asked was, "How comfortable are you if a company required you to use biometrics?" And it was a two-to-one negative. People did not want to give their biometrics to any organization uh, to be used to identify them in any shape, way, or form. It was yeah. About they a- use it to
2: open their iPhone.
0: <laughs> but it's a different. It's a different usage for uh, for a lot of people. From so it's iPhone.
2: captured. Once it, you, it's like, it's anything. once on you captured device. it and it's printed as it, somebody told me, once you've written it down on a piece of paper, it can be held against you in a court of law. <laughs> it's like the moment you released it someplace in the internet. Uh, well, once you've given your biometrics in one place, it's uh, it, it can be used.
0: I actually have uh, several of the Apple security team coming on the show in the next few weeks. And one of the things we we discuss um, is the idea of the biometrics on your iPhone, which essentially means those biometrics never make it to the iCloud. That's why when you replace a phone, you've got to re upload your biometrics because they stick on the device and you own that device. So as long as you own that device, those biometrics are yours and Apple never sees it. Apple doesn't interact with it, Apple just verifies it against your device, which is a little different from how companies view it. It's a very interesting, it's a very interesting, uh, predicament with a lot of people within the workplace of how they see biometrics over time it's very very interesting it's a discussion that's probably going to carry us over the next three to four years now, um, there's
2: technologies out there already i mean we're on cameras constantly right cameras coming into the building ca- cameras leaving the building cameras right now watching us on this video yeah yep.
0: it's um it's very interesting how people are okay to be on TikTok but not okay for something else. Again, I, I, think, I think it's a conundrum. I think yeah. it's a conundrum, it but it's a good, good, one. It, it's it, a
1: good it, one. It is. The, I want to remain private, yet I'm on Facebook, Twitter, the,
0: the, <laughs> giving everything up. Instagram, LinkedIn, I'm not on TikTok, you name it, I'm there. Um, you know, And recently, uh, uh, Clubhouse, where your voice is now being recorded and available for API digestion in massive. So... Yeah, Uh, (laughs) Gary and I had a very funny conversation about that one. So, folks, um, that's it Um, for everyone watching us um, at the event. You'll see me in a black T-shirt unless we're at four to two hundred dollars by Monday night. Then I'll be wearing Paisley for the event. So as much as I want to raise money, please don't let's reach four to two hundred on Wednesday.
2: We want you to rock the money for the Wounded Warrior.
0: I, I am. I am. We have a goal of five thousand dollars. It's uh, we're we're halfway through our goal. We're already at like twenty seven hundred dollars. Um, great people have donated. You know, and, and, and it's it's absolutely magnificent. And the Wounded Warrior Project is is absolutely amazing. And um, you know they've done great work for for a lot of veterans. I know that you know people from my units have been, you know, yeah, my
2: son takes uh, a lot of them out fishing with their families. He does a lot of events for. Them
0: absolutely and hopefully we're uh hopefully under armor will come through and we'll do paisley cyber t-shirts we can sell for wounded warrior once a year okay so that'll be pretty awesome all right folks that's it for us here thank you to ron green thank you to robin vianifee folks james are here see you in just a few minutes go refresh yourself grab a drink i'll probably be on stage telling you the same thing here in just a moment but anyways you know network enjoy take care ron,
2: thank you very much
0: Make sure to subscribe to our
1: podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues and get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.